And now, Manufacturing Matters with your host, Cliff Waldman. Welcome, everybody, to a new show on Manufacturing Talk Radio. I'm Cliff Waldman, and you are listening to the pilot episode of Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. Let me introduce myself and tell you a little bit about my vision for this new program. I am the CEO of New World Economics, a research and consulting firm in Arlington, Virginia, that specializes in manufacturing, small business, and frontier markets. Prior to founding New World Economics, I was chief economist at the Foundation for the Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation, a trade and research firm for U.S. manufacturers. And while at Maypi, um, I had the great opportunity to do research in a lot of important areas for manufacturing, demographics, productivity, innovation. I have also had experience with a small business research team here in Washington, and I spent a number of years in a research and forecasting unit for the New Jersey state government. I do a fair bit of speaking. I'm proud to say that I'm a certified business economist with NABE, and I'm active in the economics community here in Washington for 2019. I will be serving as president of the National Economist Club. What do I want for this new show? Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman will do for the U.S. manufacturing sector what the manufacturing sector does for the broad economy. We'll look under the hood and we'll push the envelope. We will certainly cover the headline stories of the day to generate understanding of their considerable impact on manufacturing growth. These include such front-burner issues as the changing U.S. and global economic outlooks, which I'll get into with my distinguished distinguished guest today, and the increasingly difficult geopolitics of trade. But we will also go beyond the headlines to focus on forces that are catalyzing rapid structural changes in America's factory sector. The key word here is new. New science, new markets, new economic thinking, new companies, and new industries. We will consider, over time on this weekly show, the contribution of each to the emergence of a new manufacturing story. Our guests will be the best in their field. I will be speaking to top economists, knowledgeable scientists, prolific authors, as well as executives executives from innovative goods-producing companies. In sum, we are offering the best people to give insights on cutting-edge dynamics. You and I both agree that U.S. manufacturing deserves no less. And I'm going to start with a promise made and a promise kept. I told you we'd have a top economist, and I'm very proud to introduce my distinguished and influential guest today, an economist known both inside and outside the Beltway. Dr. Chad Motre is chief economist for the National Association of Manufacturers. He is their economic forecaster. He is a very accomplished spokesperson for them on economic issues. He frequently comments on current economic conditions for manufacturers, through many professional presentations and media interviews. He's no stranger to the media because he's constantly on the media. He is also the director of the Center for Manufacturing Research at the Manufacturing Institute, which is the social impact arm of NAM, where he leads efforts to produce thought leadership, 
data and analysis of relevance to business leaders in the sector. Prior to joining NAM, where I, I actually met Chad, he was the chief economist and director of economic research for the Office of Advocacy at the U.S. Small Business Administration for eight years, from 2002 to 2010. He was responsible in that role for researching the importance of entrepreneurship to the U.S. economy and highlighting various issues of importance to small business owners. Before working at the SBA, Mr. Motre was the dean of, of the School of Business Administration at Robert Morris College in Chicago, now Robert Morris University of Illinois. Under his leadership, the business school has ra had rapid growth, both adding new programs and new campuses. He began the development of an MBA program that began accepting students after his departure, and he created a business institute for students to work with local businesses on classroom projects and internships. He is a former board mem member of the National Association for Business Economics. He is also the former president and chairman of the National Economist Club, so I'm following in, in very distinguished uh, footsteps. He holds a doctorate in economics from Southern University at Carbondale and a bachelor's and master's degrees in economics from Eastern Illinois University. Like me, he is a certified business economist where he was part of the initial graduating class in 2015. In 2014, he received the Outstanding Graduate Alumni Award from Eastern Illinois University, and in 2015, he accepted the Alumnus Achievement Award from Land Lake College in Mattoon, Illinois, where he earned his Associate's Degree in Business Administration. Chad, welcome, and thank you very much for being my, my guest on the pilot show. I'm, I'm humbled to be on your first to be your first guest. I can't imagine it. So yeah, it's 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 uh, you and I have been friends for a long time, and so and we I'm have, happy yes. for you and happy that you have this this show, and and I'm wishing it lots of success. Thank you so much, Chad. It's it's been a decade since the financial crisis. The world is marking the 10-year anniversary of that of that horror story that we all lived through. Amazingly, though, the U.S. manufacturing sector still has not reached its December 2007 pre-recession peak. And in fact, U.S. manufacturing has not recovered its output from the Great Recession. My question to you is, why did manufacturing output take such a large hit, more than 20% peak to trough decline, and why did it have such a slow recovery? I mean, I think you know, we're all kind of looking at that, especially as you know we're already nine and a half years into the recovery now. Likely, we'll get to ten by by next next June. I um, mean, I think when you look at at just the, the whole depth of the of that downturn, the Great Recession, uh, it really hit manufacturing and construction really hard, as you know, Cliff. Uh, those good oh, yes. good goods producing sectors really were hit the most. Um, manufacturing alone lost 2.3 million workers during during the Great Recession. Uh, and and uh, I mean, I, I think there's a positive story there, if I can get, give a little bit of a positive spin, and, and that Please. is that, uh, you know, manufacturing right now, I think, and you look at 2018, is, is a bright spot. Uh, as I talk to a lot of policy leaders, they say, hey, look, you know, manufacturing is doing really great right now, and, and, and that's definitely true. Um, you know, we've added 1.3 million workers to the manufacturing sector since the, since the recession ended, and, and 
in 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 my view, and I th- I know that you 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 share this view in my conversations with you, uh, you know, manufacturing is just much more competitive today than it was prior to the Great Recession, and so I think that there is that kind of esprit de corps that you see in the sector that you weren't seeing before. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that the sector wasn't hit hard. Doesn't mean that there aren't sectors that are still struggling to kind of get back to normal. Um, uh, but but I but I do but I do think that. Uh, the, the manufacturing sector in the U.S. now is, is, is has a, 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 a kind of a, a nice tailwind behind it that we haven't seen in a long time, uh, and uh, I'm actually continue to be pretty pretty bullish about manufacturing moving forward. You know, obviously there's going to be some down down uh, downside headwinds moving moving forward maybe, but I think in general I'm pretty remain pretty bullish. Can you share an output and jobs forecast for 2019? We're getting close to that year. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had we've added a, we've averaged around what 24, 25,000 workers per month over the last 12 12 months, right. which is really robust, as you know. Uh, the number one issue by far for our members is, is the lack of workforce, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But uh, right. that that continues to be one of those issues. Um, before I get to 2019, I'll, I'll say that that I, I do think we're going to get roughly 2.6% growth in GDP in the fourth quarter that we're kind of wrapping up right now, which right. is going to get us just around three or just shy of 3% growth for 2018. Um, that's the best since 2005, right? So that's really a, a banner year. Uh, my forecast for next year is roughly 2.5% growth in GDP, okay. uh, probably 2.2% growth in manufacturing production. Uh, probably 10 to 15,000 workers per month on on average for for manufacturing. Um, I don't have a recession necessarily in my forecast for 2019, although right. uh, I do think that as, especially to, as we get towards the end of the year, uh, there's still a lot of downside risks there. Well, I, I think the financial markets have been telling us that there are a lot of downside risks, there are a lot of concerns. What are what are the biggest downside risks to what seems to be an otherwise strong forecast from you. What do you worry about I think, the most? I, I worry about the global environment. So I think you look around the world, you're seeing slowing growth in China, you're seeing slowing growth uh, in Europe. I mean, in neither case are you talking about a recession necessarily, but you're definitely right. seeing uh, slowing growth. Um, I worry in particular about the emerging markets. Um, and you're seeing a number of emerging markets that are teetering on contraction right now. Uh, and so I think just when you look around the world, I think you're starting to see some signs of slowing. Still growth for right now, but some signs of slowing. Uh, domestically, uh, I continue to worry a lot about the housing market. Uh, housing starts uh, have just really been challenged over the last few months. I, I expect that to continue. Um, affordability is an issue on the construction side, but also workforce is a big issue. Uh, and you've also started to see some some slowing, although still strong numbers, but slowing motor vehicle sales. Um, right. And so I, I think I just kind of call those red flags more than anything else. Uh, uh, I think the Fed obviously is also looking very closely at the overall uh, inflation and pricing pressures. Uh, you know, we do have a really tight labor market that's going to bring about some wage wage pressures. I think the Fed is going to have to really thread the needle pretty delicately there to um, make sure that that there's a soft landing there. Um, given, and you're starting to see that conversation. I, I think now now we're looking at 2019, which is perhaps a bit more dovish this week than we might have said two or three weeks ago for 2019. What about trade tensions? I mean, it almost seems like the entire globalization paradigm is being challenged in various ways. What's your view on that as a risk? 
Well, that's a huge risk. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, as you know, uh, the U.S. sells more to Canada than Mexico than the next ten, the top ten trading partners combined, right? right. Um, and so, so uh, you know, obviously, the USMCA, the U.S. Canadian-Mexican Trade Agreement, uh, is important, right? Um, we right. hope that that the president does not walk away from NAFTA, right? Uh, uh, but we're we're going to be working pretty hard to get the USMCA across the finish line, uh, especially given the pretty elaborate supply chain networks that exist in manufacturing in North America. Um, uh, outside of that, obviously, there are trade tensions which continue to linger, obviously, with China. Um, we continue we've been, we've been pushing for a long time to have uh, some type of bilateral trade agreement with China that hopefully can address some of the more unfair pra trading practices that we've known about for a long time. Uh, we were encouraged uh, by the trade talks that took place uh, between President Trump and President Xi uh, last week or so. Uh, and we're, we're optimistic, hopefully, that something will come from that. Uh, but we're watching it closely. And, and I think uh, when you talk to manufacturers, and, and, and I know that you do all the time, Cliff, uh, trade is one of the first things out of their mouth, right? So there's yep. definitely uh, anxieties there, especially as we move into 2019. Um, uh, hopefully these things get resolved. But if not, I think that you, you could see some, 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 some more downside risks to the economy as a result of that. If we skirt the downside risks and we have the good growth year, the relatively good growth year that you foresee for 2019, which, which industry sectors are going to really lead the overall manufacturing sector in growth? Well, I think you, you, you know, even despite all these trade tensions, we've seen a lot of growth really in the, what I'll call those export-intensive sectors, right? So uh, machinery, uh, chemicals, obviously, uh, chemicals and computers and, and, and just technology in general has continued to do relatively well. Uh, food has done relatively well of, of late as well. Um, we're also going to be pushing pretty aggressively. The NAM is for an infrastructure bill early in 2019, uh, and if that if that were to to get across the finish line, that obviously would have huge uh, ramifications for the energy sector, but also for the construction and kind of heavy machinery sectors that are out there. All right, let's let's now look ahead a little bit further ahead. Let's say five to ten years. Many would say, and you can agree or disagree, that both the biggest challenge and the biggest opportunity for manufacturing in the United States is adopting to what can only be called dramatic process disruptions, most notably digitization and digitalization. Do you agree that that's the biggest opportunity and big, biggest challenge? Uh, I agree with both of those <laughs> uh, comments. I, I, mean, I think the technology is, is radically changing the way we think about manufacturing, and, and as you note, five to ten years from now, we might not recognize it, right? right. Uh, it's changing the way that manufacturers innovate. Um, uh, I, I, just to kind of tell a little bit of a story here, the very first uh, 3D printer I saw ever saw was at uh, Snap-on Tools in, in, in Wisconsin. Yes. Uh, so this was probably five, six, seven years ago. And they were, they were basically coming up with an, a new idea uh, catting it out, right, uh, drawing it out, and then 3D printing it. And then they'd invite local mechanics from the area in, kind of pick it up, t play with it, see what challenges there were to it, kind of refine it, continue to refine it, and then get it to, get it to, to, to uh, overall production pretty quickly. So it sped up the overall production process. 
just think with 3D printing, for instance, you won't have to have as much inventory on hand. Um, so it changes the way you operate as well. Um, and and I think the other big thing that that uh, these kind of these disruptive technologies do is they also change the way that we think about manufacturing. Manufacturing almost becomes a bit of a manufacturing after the sale becomes almost a service, right? So right. if you have a connected product in any way, right, uh, you now can say reach out to that customer and say, well, I see that your your product is starting to fail. Maybe you need to. Um, and I haven't even talked about autonomous technologies or uh, augmented reality or uh, nanotech or all of the other technologies that are out there. And I, and I, I think that, again, you're starting to see this pretty, pretty rapid adoption of some of these new technologies that I think are going to have profound impacts on productivity, uh, on, on, again, as I, as I noted, the way we operate, the way we service after the sale, et cetera. And so uh, that's going to be a challenge, but also a huge opportunity, I think, that's going to make the sector that much more competitive. Huh? The challenge lies in, yeah, it's nice to have all these buzzwords, but but what does that mean for my company? Um, how how would I use augmented reality? How would I use 3D printing? How would I use big data? Right? Uh, and I think that 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 is certainly something that a lot, of, especially a lot of smaller manufacturers, grapple with. Um, uh, and then I guess the other one is is uh, is if we're changing as rapidly as we're talking about. How does that change the workforce? How does that change the type of worker you need in, in, in the manufacturing sector and the skills that they need? And the who, you know, uh, we're not really talking blue-collar work anymore, right? We're talking about much more sophisticated, much more high-skilled labor, uh, and that only exacerbates the skills gap challenge. Well, if if I'm a um, a relatively low-skilled manufacturing worker, and I've been with my company for a few decades now, and I, I, you know, I know that my company is going to be um, adopting process innovations that, to some extent, are going to affect what I do or affect what what happens around me. Should I start working on skills, upskilling myself? What's what's the advice there? I think in the manufacturing sector, upskilling is the name of the game now, um, because manufacturing is changing so rapidly. Um, it's almost like in, in the in the IT sector, right? You, your skills are you're all, are always outdating themselves pretty quickly, right? You always have to to get recertified and get new skills, et cetera. And I think that that's the case in manufacturing, perhaps maybe not to that degree, but certainly the change the changes that are taking place in manufacturing are going to have broad implications for the skills that you have today versus the skills you're going to need two, three, four years from now. Um, and so I think that, that that's that also changes the existing workforce, right? So, you know, often when we talk about manufacturing, we talk about who we're hiring and we're hiring a different type of worker, et cetera. But we also have a lot of workers out there who um, are in the middle of their career or later in their career, and I think it's important for us to continue to talk about how we retain those workers, how we continue to reskill uh, and, 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 and repurpose those workers for whatever happens in the manufacturing sector to come. Well, obviously, this discussion should let our audience know that the skills gap is, is is both multifaceted and it's very dynamic. Every time, technically speaking, every time a new technology is implemented into a manufacturing process, just ipso facto, there's a skills gap there because I mean, yeah. obviously, the workforce is is going to adapt after technology implementation. So. The skills gap is going to remain a broad and, and multifaceted and complex problem. Now, 
does the solution come mostly from companies and private the private sector, or is there a role for the public sector in helping us to get the manufacturing workforce that we need going forward? Well, we urge our our manufacturing members to be proactive, right? If you're in, okay. if you are in Des Moines or Cleveland or wherever you are, you know what you know what skills you're going to need, uh, and, and it's really incumbent on you to work with your local educational institutions to make sure those skills are being offered, right? Um, to be proactive as much as you can, uh, to reach out into the high schools and to the community colleges right. and four-year institutions to, again change perceptions about manufacturing. Um, as you know, Cliff, we, we at the NAM and the Manufacturing Institute own Manufacturing Day now. And so, you know, mm. once a year, the first Friday in, uh, in October, we, we really promote manufacturing kind of like as a Got Milk campaign. We had over 3,000 mm. events uh, this year where we invited high school students in to really just see how different manufacturing is. And I think that's that, that, wonderful. That's excellent. that goes a, lo- a long way towards that. Uh, but also, you're right. It's, it's important for for the public sector also to embrace that that you know changes need to take place there. We know from from uh, our Deloitte work, for instance, that we're going to need 2.4 million workers over the next decade in manufacturing, with people retiring and with the skills changing. Uh, and we really need to. It's going to be incumbent on everyone really to identify where those people are going to come from and what skills they're going to need. Yeah. Final question, Chad. Look, let's look out into the world. Ten or 15 years ago, all of us were intensively studying the new markets, of the, uh, the then new markets of China, India, uh, Brazil. They, they were the exciting frontier markets for manufacturing. Now, in, they're all undergoing dramatic changes. They remain very promising and very important markets for, uh, for manufacturers. But there is, is there any new what I would call frontier markets that are going to surprise us for that would be of interest that U.S. manufacturers should pay attention to? Well, I think, I mean, you already mentioned India, so I, I, I just kind of reemphasize that. I think we're going to continue to see uh, an emerging India become an even more influential and powerful force. But I think really the, the, the domain that I, I'm going to continue to watch, and I know everyone's been talking about this for a long time, but is Africa. Um, mm. you're, you're seeing a lot of investment taking place in Africa, especially amongst the Chinese. Um, a lot of that's natural resource driven, but, but um, I think that that's really the place to watch. I think if certainly if they, could, if they continue to have uh, uh, less political risk, right, and can get some stability there, uh, I think you're, Africa really is kind of that emerging market that I think everyone probably would want to look at 10, 15 years from now. We will certainly be talking about Africa on this show. Dr. Chad Motri, Chad, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. We started with a top economist, and you've given us a, 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 great, a great thrust um, for our new show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, listening to Dr. Motre, you know that there are so many issues for us to discuss. I wanted him to start off by discussing the general 30,000-foot forecast for manufacturing because as we, we all follow the financial markets, and we know that these are tumultuous days, and very few people have that ability to cut through the volatility and look at how it's affecting um, manufacturing like, like Chad does. But at the same time that manufacturers – are dealing with um, you know the, the rough and tumble of the short-term forecast. 
They are challenged by technology. They are challenged by new science. They are challenged by new markets. They are challenged by changes in entrepreneurship. That They are challenged by public policies in the U.S. and around the world, some good, some not so good. It's going to be my purpose on this show to illuminate some of these issues, and I'm proud to say that we're going to have many, many wonderful guests. For now, I'm going to sign off very proudly on this pilot episode. I want to remind you that um, that this is Cliff Waldman, that manufacturing matters, and I look forward to hearing from you and having you listen to my show the next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.